Well, God be the glory. Amen. You know, we live, we live in a great nation. And it's easy to find something wrong with it. But we need to find something right with it as well. Amen. We need to realize that what God began, he didn't begin for it to end. He began for it to be a leverage point for his kingdom. To see the work of God spread throughout the world. It's not that we're the only nation that God has used, not the only people that God has raised up, but God has raised us up for a purpose. And sometimes when complacency falls into our lap, we embrace it like a warm pillow. And yet we have to realize that God has called us to be a people, that there is a destiny that is put upon us as a nation, that is put upon us as an individual and as a people, as a church, as, an, as a state, as a nation. You know, all the documents that form the United States, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, the Bill of Rights, the constitutions of the various states, the inaugural addresses of the presidents, they bear one unmistakable testimony and to the fact that God has planted this nation as one nation under God. I know that rattles those who do not believe. I know that shakes the foundation of those who would like to make us completely secular, to separate us completely from God, as if God had no sway on the affairs of mankind. But as you're going to see this morning in this first message on our Christian heritage, it was not the conviction of our founding fathers that America was to be secular, that America was to somehow ignore God and embrace a society and a view and a philosophy that separated God from everything. In the book of Psalms, chapter 33, beginning in verse 8, I want you to see what God says about his input in nations and in people. The Bible says, let all of the earth fear the Lord. We could stop there and move no further and establish a great foundation. If all the earth would fear the Lord, how different would this world be? If you and I as individuals would fear the Lord, how different would this world be? It always begins with the fear of God. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. And fools despise wisdom and instruction. The Bible goes on to say, let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. There's a time to bow your knee. And there's a time to stand in awe. There's a time to speak and a time to be quiet. But here the psalmist envisions a moment where we rise to our feet and in awe we look to the Lord and say, look how great and mighty the Lord is. Look at the great things he has done. What wonders he has worked in the earth. Verse 9, for he spoke and it was done. You see, a real belief in the almighty God that is a belief in the creator God. Look what God has done. He created us in his image. Why do you think there's such a violent attack against believers? Because created in the image of God and then born again into that image of his only son, Jesus Christ, we become a target, an object of scorn for the enemy. But God wants us to realize that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. 
The Bible reminds us, be not dismayed, be not fearful, for I have overcome the world. And all power and all authority has been given unto you. He spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. I love it when I see in Scripture, God just commands something and it happens. The Lord brings the counsel of nations to nothing. Together we see nations that counsel against the Lord and against his anointed. In Psalm chapter 2, it says, they, they say, let us rise up against him. Let us break the bonds that, that, that hold us back. Let's break the chains that keep us back. But the Bible says, but he who sits in the heavens shall laugh as he brings them in to derision. The council of nations, they sound important. It sounds significant. At times it sounds frightening and even brings dismay to us of what the world is doing and what the councils are doing. Fall back not into fear, but fall into Almighty God. Let the strength of the Lord be your strength. Don't fear for your children's future. Trust in the Lord. Don't worry about what you'll do tomorrow. Trust in the Lord. Don't worry about what might come or if the end is going to come or who has this weapon or that weapon. Don't fear that. You can understand it, and we as nations must prepare for it, but never fear. Fall into the hands of Almighty God. He makes the plans of people of no effect. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. What God has determined in, in eternity will be true in the future in all of our days. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. You know, we had these young, little boys up on the stage, and it's their generation, and it's to their children's children. God's counsel will stand. Looking back into history, you can think about the better days and the great days, and there were, but I want you to know God has great days and great plans for tomorrow for every one of us. Amen. We need to look with optimism and see that God is in control of this world. It's not, it's not the New York Times that's in control of this world. It's not Al Jazeera that's in control of this world. Oh, they're there to frighten us. They're there to inform us. They're there to misinform us at times. But it is the Lord who will, his counsel stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. And then look what it says in verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people whom he has chosen for his own inheritance. God said, I love nations when they love me. And I have a special destiny for nations, just like I have a special destiny for individuals, for you and for me and for our children's children. I want to take you back a little bit into history, and I want to walk you through some of the founding uh, documents and quotes and statements that have been made by some of the people that have formed the foundation of our great nation. Our nation, do not be dismayed and do not be discouraged and do not be misinformed. Our nation was not formed by someone who didn't know the true God, the God of the Bible. They were Christians who formed our documents. They were a belief in the Judeo-Christian God that formed the United States. John Winthrop in 1630 said this, We will be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people are upon us. So that if we deal falsely with our God and in this work which we have undertaken and so cause him to withdraw his present help from us, we shall be made a story and a byword throughout the world. Winthrop envisioned a day and a time when people of all the world would look and say there's a city on a hill. 
it would be later that President John F. Kennedy would cite that same quote in these words. I have been guided by the standard of John Winthrop, set before his shipmates on the flagship Arabella 331 years ago, as they too faced the task of building a new government on a perilous frontier. We must always consider, he said, that we shall be as a city upon a hill. The eyes of all people will be upon us. It was Reagan who would later cite the same quote. There is a, a sense of destiny that we as a people embrace. We know there's something unique about what God did here in America. There's something special about what God is doing. An economist was speaking with uh, a, a president of a South American country, and they were talking about the differences between America and between South America. Because all the great riches of South America are there, and yet there's a difference in the economy. There's a difference in what God has been able to do in so many ways. Great nations in both places, great people in both places. But this South American president said to Roger Batson, he said, the difference is that South America was founded by people seeking gold, but North America, America was founded by people seeking God. There's something about our destiny. There's something about it. But Rabbi Jonathan Kahn made this statement. The city on the hill has grown dark. Its lamp has grown dim. Its glory is fading. For God is not mocked. No nation can war against the very source of its blessing and expect those blessings to remain. As it was in ancient Israel... The city on the hill now stands under the shadow of judgment. America is decaying from coast to coast. We have strayed so far from our Christian heritage that in 2009, President Obama proclaimed that we are no longer a Christian nation. I challenge that statement. The very coin that I have in my pocket says we are one nation under God. And that God, amen, and that God is the true God, the God of the Bible. He is Jehovah Elohim. He is in control and in power. Ben Franklin said this, I have lived a long time, and the longer I live, the more convincing proof that I see of this truth, that God governs the affairs of men. If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it possible that an empire can rise without his aid? We have been assured in the sacred writings, except the Lord build a house, they who build it labor in vain. William Penn put it like this, if we are not governed by God, we will be ruled by tyrants. It is our political duty, it is our Christian obligation to elect those men and women to office who will represent us well, who will represent the cause. Vote your conviction, but vote in a way that di dictates your direction of your heart. John Adams said our Constitution, our Constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other people. Now listen and think about those words. Our Constitution was made only for a moral and a religious people. Isn't it interesting how people want to rewrite history? 
They want to interpret history. They want to say, well, this is what John Adams really meant. Well, it looks to me like I know what he meant. He said our Constitution was made for a moral and religious people. It doesn't say it was made for an immoral and a secular people. Had he said that, I would have said, well, maybe you're right. He was clear. And if we understand the foundation upon which we were built, then we can build a house of greater, greater height and greater strength. John Quincy Adams. Now, remember, a lot of these guys were there when all this happened. They know what was going on. You will never know, he said, how much it has cost my generation to preserve your freedom. I hope you will make good use of it. Of those 56 men who signed the Declaration of Independence, five were captured by the British and tortured before they died. Twelve had their homes burned. Two lost sons in battle. One had two sons taken prisoner, and nine died in war from either its hardship or its bullets. They knew what it meant to pay a price. They knew what the issue was. They knew what the foundation was going to be. The common thread which bound all of our forefathers together was freedom. The quest for freedom caused them to risk their wealth, their honor, and even their very lives. These were men of conviction who stood on what they believed. No matter what the cost, these were men of character who refused to give up in the face of adversity or in the face of hardship. These were men and women of prayer. These were men and women who knew how to connect with God, who had, who had somehow had to take the destiny of a nation and connect it with the almighty power of God. They refused to let difficulty and, and problems get in the way. They said, regardless what the cost, we're moving forward with God. Abraham Lincoln said this, it is the duty of nations as well as men to owe their dependence on the overruling power of God and to recognize the sublime truth announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all of history that those nations are only blessed whose God is the Lord. Sounds like Abe Lincoln understood something of this truth. Alexis D. de Coqueville was from aristocracy in France. He had witnessed what had happened in the French Revolution and how God had been pushed out of the scene and how somehow God was put into the back corner so that, so that secular France could rise to the occasion. And he came to America and he came to investigate. He came to see what was this experiment called America? What was the, the miracle in America? And this is what he wrote. He said, I sought for the greatness and the strength of America in her commodious harbors and her rivers, but I didn't find it there. In her fertile fields and her boundless prairies, but I didn't find it there. Not until I went into the churches and I found the pulpits aflame with righteousness. Then I discovered the source of the strength of America. America is great because America is good. If America ever ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. He didn't come with a political agenda. He didn't come looking and assuming one thing or another. He came looking to find out what was this thing, this miracle called America. In Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 34, the word of God says this, 
Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. What would happen if you and I would take serious the truth that we can intercede not only for ourselves and for our family, but for a nation? What would God do if just a handful of people would begin to grow into a bigger handful and would begin to grow into a movement, would begin to grow into something that would literally change the nation because God was hearing our prayer. God was responding to what we said. In Isaiah chapter 5 and verse 20, the Bible says, Woe to those who call evil good. Why, we're seeing evil being called good. We're seeing that moral equivalency being pulled out, and, and all of a sudden we look at it and say, well, this is okay, and that's okay, and it really doesn't matter what you do. After all, aren't we free? Well, freedom was never intended to make us free to do whatever we wanted. God always had restraints. Well, you can't, you can't legislate morality. Silly. We do it every day. Every day our laws are built on that principle of legislating morality. But it says, woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Some weeks ago, we began praying on Tuesday mornings from 9 to 1030. We purposely did not make it a a broad invitation. We wanted to, to really finalize and kind of get that that plan down of how can we really pray how can we seek God and I want to this will be the first invitation we've made publicly for you to come and be a part of that time on Tuesday morning this Tuesday from 9 to 10 30 I'm going to invite you to come join us right here in the worship center and pray we'll have worship and we'll have prayer you come and go you can come for five minutes you can come for the whole hour and a half a friend of mine wrote a book I can't tell you his name because he doesn't want it known. It's just simply written by an American. He published this book. He didn't sell it. He gave it away. He sent out thousands of copies of it. It's called The American Ideas, 13 Original to Know, Love, and Defend. It's one of the the great books that I have. In fact, when you open it up, even though I know the author, it says to fill best wishes, an American. He didn't want politics to, to somehow fade into his understanding of what that book when you read it and he sent me a case of those and so for the first people who come on Tuesday morning I'm going to give you a free copy of that book uh, written by an American I think you'll find it thrilling and a great book but as we think about what God is doing in our nation if you understand where you come from you know where you can go if you see the foundation that's been laid you can build the structure If the foundation is uncertain or if the foundation has been moved or pushed out of the way, it's difficult to know what kind of building do we have. What kind of structure can we build? But if you know that God was intricately engaged in the forming of this nation, let me take you to someone else, John Jay. You may not recognize that name. He was the first chief justice of the Supreme Court. This is what he wrote. Providence has given to our people the choice of their rulers. And it is the duty as well as the privilege and the interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. Does that sink in? Think about that statement. Let me read that last part again. 
It is the duty, your duty and mine, as well as privilege and interest of our Christian nation to select and prefer Christians for their rulers. One of the military leaders that I admire greatly, not only because of what he did for us as a nation, but also because of who he was as a person. A man who really loved God, a man who prayed, a man who sought after the goodness of God. General Douglas MacArthur wrote these words. History fails to record a single precedent in which nations subject to moral decay have not passed into political and economic decline. There has either been a spiritual awakening to overcome the moral lapse or a progressive deterioration leading to an ultimate national disaster. He understood something that we've been studying about. He understood this truth, that we're going to go one way or we're going to go the other way. We're either going to go in the direction of God or we're going to go away from God. We're either going to have a a spiritual awakening or we're going to have a spiritual failure. And whose responsibility and whose duty? It's yours and it's mine. We start in the place of prayer and then we move to the place of decision and we choose those leaders who help us most. We pray for our leaders, all of them, regardless whether we agree with them or not. We pray for every leader we have. We honor the office. We honor the system. And we pray if it's wrong, we pray for change. If we can't pray change in, we enact change. But we want to see God work. I believe God is raising us up for a purpose. I believe we can be in the middle of a miracle and sometimes not know it. Amen? You know, we began this church with that statement. You can be in the middle of a miracle and not know it. We began to evolve that statement into expect a miracle because we began to see God working. And I keep going back to that one. You can be in the middle of a miracle. You know, everyone in the Bible who was in the middle of a miracle never knew they were. I mean, do you think Noah thought he was in the middle of a miracle? I mean, he thought, what am I doing? This is craziness. You think Moses thought he was in the middle of a miracle? He thought, God, what are you doing? You think Ezekiel or Jeremiah? How about Joseph? Do you think Joseph thought he was in the middle of a miracle? Every time it seemed like he had a setback, God called it the favor of God. I'm sure Joseph had a lot of long talks with God that aren't recorded in Scripture. Have you ever had one of those long talks with God? God, now I trust you, and I love you, and I know you're on my side, but it looks like you're on the other team. I remember one time there was a dialogue that took place between General Patton and the chaplain recorded in that that movie that was made by him many years ago, about him, rather. And uh, he said, I need a good prayer that we kill the Nazis. The chaplain said, well, I don't know if God would honor that. He said, I'm well acquainted with him. He said, he'll be fine with it. You just, you just write the prayer. We'll get this thing going. Amen. But sometimes you feel like that. You go, Where, well, God, what are you doing? And, and how are you getting involved? Trust me in this. Trust me in this. The Bible is all about people who did not know they were in the middle of a miracle, and sometimes it was at the worst possible time they were in the biggest part of the miracle. They just didn't know it. I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what life looks like for you right now, but I want you to know this. If you'll start saying, I could be in the middle of a miracle, not know it, you'll begin to see God start to show up. 
See, God loves to show up in the presence. You know, uh, years ago, 20, 30 years ago, there, there was a common statement. You know, we just want to welcome the Holy Spirit here. I want to just kind of take that to another level. For Jesus' sake, Holy Spirit, show up. That your name might be lifted up. We need the presence of Almighty God in our individual lives and in our church life, in our nation, in our world. Holy Spirit, we need your presence. We need your power to come. We want to see you work miracles. We want to see you change lives. We want to see the great things of God. Amen and amen. Let's stand together as we pray. Heavenly Father, as we pray and as we prepare our hearts right now, to just reflect on what we've heard, to meditate on the great foundation that you've laid for us, Father, as a nation. God, we are privileged to be here. God, we're not, we're not greater or better than anybody else. We just have a destiny that we have to fulfill. We have a purpose, God, that you put us here as a nation, as a people, as a church. Our families have a destiny that needs to align itself with God. God, everything we do in terms of our ministry and our outreach and what, God, you're doing in the kingdom has a purpose. God, you want to raise up spiritual warriors for your kingdom. You want to raise up men and women and boys and girls who understand the power of Almighty God, who know what it means to walk in the spirit and the fullness of God who put on the full armor of God, who don't let anything get in the way of that forward momentum of advancing the kingdom of God. God, we, can't, we don't have time to be distracted. We don't have time for distractions and those things that don't mean anything. We have to be focused on what means something. To love the Lord our God with all of our heart, our mind, our soul, and our strength. To love our neighbor as ourself. To proclaim the riches of of the kingdom of Almighty God, to tell people everywhere that Jesus loves them and Jesus saves. You've called us to that, God. You've given us the power to do it, and you've given us the instruction manual, the Bible, to do that. So I'm going to ask everyone in this room right now, whatever level of commitment you can make to God right now, would you just make it? It might be something as simple as, God, I just want to take all of this in and pray. I want to just really figure out, God, what you want me to do. It might be that God spoke to you clearly and said, you know, you need to step up your commitment. You need to, you need to be fast forward for the kingdom of God. How many of you might have been that, you know, I, I just need to know Jesus. I need to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ so as to be saved. Then receive him now. Just ask him to save you right now and come into your heart and give you life, give you hope, give you truth. For others, you need to pray. You need to say, you know, I used to pray more. I used to be more committed. Join us Tuesday and let that commitment begin there. Let it be a catalyst to drive you forward in the kingdom. So you start to see miracles happen. You start to see your prayers answered. You start to see your family changed. You start to feel like you're a part of what God is doing in your nation, in your family, in your church. God, during this time now, we, we also reflect on our giving. God, there's something about being vested 
about investing in your kingdom that makes us serious about the things of God. So God, as we receive this offering this morning now, Father, we do it. We do it, God, giving it to you. It may seem awkward to be standing and taking an offering, but don't let it be. If God's moved your heart to give, you give. We believe giving by revelation. We believe giving by the Spirit of God prompts us. The Spirit of God will speak to your heart in that still, small voice and say, you know what? You need to be vested. You need to be a part of what I'm doing here. If he prompts you, you give. If he doesn't prompt you, you don't give. Let the Spirit of God drive everything you do, move you in every way. The Bible says in Corinthians that God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful means hilarious. God, I've never taken an offering. People started laughing. But God, I'd love to see that moment where we just love to give so much, we love to honor you, that we just start laughing about it. I can't believe I gave that. What am I thinking? What am I thinking? I've given offerings like that. I thought, what am I thinking? And yet God always honored it. God always blessed me. God always did something in my life for it. By revelation, by revelation, by revelation. We're going to sing together. I don't know if we've ever stood, sang, and taken an offering all at one time. But that's kind of like hula hooping on one leg and singing the Star Spangled Banner. Amen? All right, let's sing. All right, if you want to laugh during this offering, start laughing. It's a good thing to laugh. Amen? <laughs> 